reading. Such a wonderful accent. <laughs> um, so we're on our final um, part of our vision series, uh, four-part vision series, and we, we come to this theme of intentional community, um, which has been bubbling around my head for a few weeks, and it, it made me think about what an intentional community is. And I remembered um, when I was about eight or nine, um, my friends were, and I were at this stage of life, um, you know, lads, 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 where we would be very competitive. Um, we'd always see who was the fastest runner, who was the strongest, who could do the most sit-ups, um, which over the years built in me and, and a couple of my friends as well, this, this obsession uh, with strength training and powerlifting and fitness. Um, so from these kind of pressed up competitions we had to have at school, to gym memberships, to these big stacks of protein supplements and powders. I, I got wrapped up in this, this bizarre world of intentional um, living that was shaped by routines and exercise and diets. Um, I even went on to work in a gym part-time for a few years alongside my other job. Um, so if, you, if you've been a gym, any gym members? Oh, wow. Oh, okay. A couple. Gym rats, as they're called these days. Um, gyms are these intentional communities of um, committed and like-minded people. Um, they devote and dedicate significant parts of their life to, to getting fitter, getting stronger, getting more flexible. Um, and when you think about it, the gym is it's more than just a practical room of, of, of mats and machines and, and weights. Um, for those that are involved regularly there, the, the gym is it's the people, it's the music, uh, it's the lighting, it's the motivational posters on the walls, it's that kind of lure of progress. And when you peel it all back, like many other things in life, the gym is it's an intentional community of people. Um, it just so happened a few years ago that I, God led me through this really painful season, actually, of breaking down a lot of that obsession that, quite frankly, just become a bit of an idol of my own fitness and physique. And um, you'd be pleased to know that the, the good Lord has replaced that with a dad bod um, <laughs> and uh, a golf addiction. But... Um, my, my, my point is that there's many parts of life, there's many clubs, things we go to, many groups that we could describe as in, intentional communities. Um, you might be able to think of a few things on the, off the top of your head that you're involved in that would be described as an intentional community. So I thought, what, what about the church? What makes us different? What makes us unique? What's, you know, what is this all about? Why are we an intentional community? And, and I picked this, uh, this reading from, from John's Gospel, John chapter 17, bit of a long reading, I know. Um, but I think it's an absolutely wonderful insight, a profound insight into Jesus' own vision for the church, what he wanted the community of faith to look like. And it's this moment of Jesus passing the baton on, and he's anticipating his own trial, his own death, his own execution. Um, so kind of on the journey to the cross, he has this long discourse that's become known as, as the farewell discourse, and he passes um, the responsibilities on to his followers. And so I thought, let's, let's start here. You know, if there's a place to start about what it means to be an intentional community, what it means to be the church, why not look to Jesus' own words? Um, so I want to break this open for us so we can get our heads around um, what it means to be an intentional community of Jesus' followers. So before we, before we look at ourselves, before we start picking apart what it means to be the church, um, it's vital, I think, that we look first to who God is. Um, we are... Ultimately, we're, we're creatures of a Trinitarian God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We sing about the Godhead in our songs, we read about it in the Bible. Some of our liturgy has these words in, these names for who God is. 
Uh, a God who is in, in himself a community. God created us in his image of community. It's God who's revealed himself to communities throughout history, and it's God who's chosen to establish a community who will live with him for eternity. And throughout John's gospel, and, and particularly through the farewell discourse, these later chapters of the gospel, um, we really truly encounter this idea of God in three persons. And we're also told that in a mysterious way, in Jesus Christ, we become participants of this divine life of God. So it's not an us and them thing, it's us with God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the community that we share here now as God's holy people, it's entwined with the life of God. Mysterious, profound, but I think it's wonderful. And so I think this is where our um, understanding of community, intentional community begins. Our communal life, our intentionality begins and it ends with the mission and life of God. So what does this mean? Firstly, we are a community that's uh, defined by revelation. When we journey through the Bible, when we begin at the beginning and we work our way through the narrative, we quickly see how central God's initiative is to the whole thing. The biblical narrative unfolds through God's initiative of, of creating things, of choosing people, of calling, of rescuing, of intervening, and acting in time and space. This is what Rich was talking about a few weeks ago called Kairos, those Kairos moments. Uh, and as Christians, we believe that the greatest revelation of God is the incarnation of the Son, Jesus. We talk about this, we anticipate it through the season of Advent, which is just around the corner. Can you believe it? Uh, and we celebrate the incarnation, the birth of Jesus at Christmas. So God revealed himself to the world in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus is the word of God made flesh. He's God who lived among us, who ministered and healed and prophesied and taught and was crucified and rose again for us. And Jesus says in uh, verse 6 of our reading, he says, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. But when we zoom out a little bit from the farewell discourse, um, we see that actually God has revealed himself to humanity throughout all of human history, through the law, the prophets, through creation itself. Uh, Paul captures this in, in the first chapter of Romans. This is from the message translation. And it says, the basic reality of God is plain enough. Open your eyes and there it is. So the revelation of Jesus was the most significant albeit the most unique and particular revelation at a particular moment in time in human history. And therefore, what's unique to Jesus' followers, his disciples, and for us today is that they and we have heard the call of God in Christ. This is what Jess was talking about a few minutes ago. I love it. We've heard the call of God in Christ, this invitation to life and grace and hope, and we said yes to him. As a result, we are those people who have dropped our nets, we've given things up, we've taken up our crosses, and we've chosen to give ourselves wholeheartedly to him. And so we're a community defined by the revelation of God in Jesus. And so we need to intentionally listen. If this is about revelation, we need to learn to discern and submit ourselves to the word of God, and we're called to be an attentive people. The good news is, and we've, we've been, again, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit through our worship and our time together already this morning, but the good news is we're not alone in this. Uh, a few chapters back in the farewell discourse, Jesus promises not to leave us alone when he uh, ascends back to his Father. He promises 
that he will send the helper, the counselor, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit who will teach us and remind us of the word. And so in our intentionality as a community, we must be utterly, utterly dependent on the Holy Spirit in us and amongst us. But not only that, we read about in the New Testament that Jesus has given to the church the gift of prophecy. He's given to us the prophets among us who, through these people, through this gift, we're able to hear a uh, fresh revelation of God's word and transmit fresh revelations and understandings of God's word into our lives and into the world around us. So our intentionality means that we need to immerse ourselves in scripture, in the Bible. We need to pray fervently and seek after God. We need to press into the prophetic. And within all this, we need to anticipate that the Holy Spirit will nudge us and convict us and encourage us and bring clarity to us. Secondly, we are a community defined by covenant promise. Again, when we journey through the Bible, we we see that the word of God is shaped by covenants, by God's promises to his people. And again, God takes initiative. He, he, He takes this on and he makes the first move. And Jesus calls human be- sorry, God calls human beings into covenant relationship with him. And in the New Testament, when we read through the Gospels, we, we see that Jesus calls us into a new covenant with him, through him. And when we encounter the revelation of God, it presents us with both hope and responsibility. The hope, as we see in verse 2 of our reading, is the gift of eternal life. And this doesn't just mean that we end up going to a nice place when we die But as Jesus says in verse 22 to 26, the hope that he offers is right relationship with God, a renewal of what we were originally created for in the first place. And so it makes sense, doesn't it, if we think about this logically, when we, if if we are to share in any life of God, in any sense, to share the life of God, it must be eternal life, because this is who God is. His life is eternal. And this is what Jesus says in verse three, that now this is the eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And so this is the big picture. This is where all this is headed. Um, I love in worship looking up at the big picture of that stained glass window here. It reminds me of the bigger calling and what all this is leading to. But in the here and now, in the nitty gritty of life, in the mundaneness of life, until we reach that close of play, that, that consummation of where all this is going, we have a responsibility to abide in Jesus, to love him, to remain faithful to him, to live obedient and devoted lives to him. So Jesus is both our temporary and our eternal way to knowing God. And for the here and now, Jesus has given us the Eucharistic meal, the communion table is a reminder of this covenant promise. He's given us the seal of his Holy Spirit in us as an assurance of our salvation. And he's given us the scriptures and the Bible so that we can remain anchored in the apostolic message and the word of God throughout the ages. So we are a community, an intentional community that's defined by covenant promise. We need to be intentional, therefore, about our worship, about our communal life, about our attendance and our participation. We need to be intentionally aware of God's promises to us, what this is all about, what this means, and how it affects us and prepares us for the eternal future. And that's why we sing together wonderful time of worship together this morning this is why we gather around the communion table this is why we pray this is why we seek after god and study his word together thirdly we are a community defined by belief 
In verse 8, Jesus says, For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. And then a few verses later, 20 to 21, he says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that they all might be one, Father, just as I and you are one. And so we read through this, this chapter that Jesus is praying for his disciples, these, these group of men that he has around with him. Uh, but he's also praying for us 2,000 years later. I think that's amazing. But notice that our belief hinges on the, the receiving and the believing of the message that the apostles will pass on. The revelation the disciples received firsthand in the presence of Jesus. We are now, 2,000 years later, called to believe in secondhand. We inherit this message. And when we look through the, uh, the, the whole Gospel of John, belief, the concept of belief is a key theme. And in chapter 20, after Jesus has risen from the dead and he, he appears back uh, with his disciples, um, he says this to, to doubting Thomas. He says, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet come to believe. That's, that's me and you the ones who are inheriting this. Blessed are you and I, the ones who have not seen, but who have come to believe. And so we're called to believe in, in a gospel that has been handed down to us by the apostles, but by the generations of, of faithful men and women who have gone before us. This is the gospel we encounter in the New Testament of our Bibles. And once again, within all this, we're called to lean upon the Holy Spirit, the one who Jesus sent to reside within us, to lead us into all truth, to encourage us, to speak to us, and to give us peace. And so we're a community shaped by our common belief, our teaching, our doctrine. And as an intentional community, we are called to remain resiliently faithful to the apostolic message that we've received through Scripture, and to ensure that we continue to transmit that gospel faithfully to the generations who follow us and we've heard a lot of the last few weeks I think it's wonderful I think I get a, a, a bit more of this because I live with Joe but for Annabelle and Joe we've heard of all the wonderful things that are happening here with our children and young people and as the church it's so important that we continue investing in one another but we also continue to invest and nurture and teach our children and young people not just passively hope that they can navigate their way through life. And it's because, the last few weeks again we've been talking about this, but it's because of our big vision for the gospel, our big belief and wholehearted belief in the gospel, that we're passionate, so passionate, about dedicating our money and our time, our energy to making all this happen. So again, as the church, we're called to be intentionally reliant upon the Spirit, the one who sustains and strengthens us. And this is why, as we've done already this morning, we've allowed time for ministry, for waiting on the Spirit, why we allow these little windows and pockets of time in our worship and in prayer. Because actually we believe that the Holy Spirit does a deeper, more significant work than what we could ever manufacture. Fourthly, everybody still with me? We are a community that's defined by uh, obedience. In verse 6 of our reading, Jesus says, I've made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now, if we flick back a, a few chapters to chapter 15, 
of uh, John's Gospel, Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I think it's really important, actually, considering the, the world that we live in and, and the distance that we have from some of the, the, kind of the world of the Gospel, that we have this biblical understanding of what love means, particularly what agape means, which refers primarily to faithfulness, to value, to esteem and devotion. And so as Jesus is faithful and devoted to the Father, we are called to be faithful and devoted to Jesus. And this is the here and now way that we access and participate in the life of God and experience communion with God who is Father, Son and Holy Spirit. But to fully comprehend the word of God, to determine what this obedience looks like, we need to immerse ourselves regularly in, in the scriptures and the teachings of Jesus and the apostles. We must listen to it, chew it, uh, wrestle with it, pray on it, um, with the help of the Holy Spirit, again, understand it, believe it, and, and apply it to ourselves. Because I don't know about you, but the real hope of the gospel that I've, I've learned over the years is that it has the power to affect us, to transform us, to bring hope and renewal and restoration for us. And this is the process of loving obedience to Jesus. It's the means by which uh, we are sanctified, another, another big word that we get in this reading, a word that means uh, made holy. As Jesus says in verses um, 16 and 17 of our reading, he says that they do not belong to the world. The disciples, the followers of Jesus, do not belong to the world, but just as I do not belong to the world. And then he says, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. And so we need to be this community that is intentional about our identity, who we are, our Christ-likeness, our holy distinctiveness. And as we prioritize um, this throughout, through our devotion and our obedience to the word of God, we become distinguishable in the world. We become different from a world that, quite frankly, is disconnected from the life and the will of God. And so we're a community that's called to obedience, to denying ourselves, to taking up our crosses and to following him. And this is why we turn up and gather on a Sunday like this. This is why we study the Bible on our own and um, with our families. This is why we commit to a life group and share the journey with one another. This is why we prioritize the ministry of the Holy Spirit as we seek guidance and clarity. This is why we need to listen to the prophetic voices in our community and, and learn from the teachers here in our midst. It's why we need to maintain accountability to one another through friends and mentors and, and life groups. We need to be intentional about loving our loving faithfulness to Jesus. And in doing so, just allowing ourselves to become humble and vulnerable that the transformational work of God um, that emerges in our lives from our obedience to his word. Fifthly, then we are a community defined by mission. In verse 18 of our reading, Jesus says, as you have sent me into the world, I send them into the world. Now, the danger, and I think this has been a, a bit of a theme throughout church history, is the danger of thinking that we do not belong to the world has led to instances where we, we, we feel this inclination to separate ourselves from the world around us. We disengage, we disappear, we retreat away from the world around us. But what Jesus is saying here, his intention for the church is that he's intentionally sending us in to the world in the same way that the Father intentionally sent him into the world. So we are called to the same incarnational 
an intentional ministry and mission that Jesus started 2,000 years ago. And when I was um, ordained a couple of years ago, one of the lines that really grabbed me and um, choked me up um, during the ordination liturgy uh, were these words. And it said, I am to share in the ministry of Christ himself. I am to share in the ministry of Christ himself. But this isn't just the role of the clergy. This is not just my responsibility. This is our shared responsibility as the people of God, as an intentional community of believers. Yes, we do not belong to the world, but we are sent into the world to share in the ministry of Christ. So we're a community called to be intentional about our mission and our ministry to the world around us. We need to be present in the world. Jesus doesn't expect us to be isolated and retreat to our big, fancy, ancient buildings. And again, we need the evangelists among us to be sharing the gospel with boldness. We need the prophets declaring the word of God. We need the apostles among us to be breaking new ground and forging new ways. And we need to be encouraging one another and challenging one another to be bold and courageous. We need to continue feeding the poor and caring for the vulnerable and serving our neighbours. We need to be loving one another deeply, particularly through these times of financial difficulty and, and political uncertainty. And together we need to con uh, courageously bear, bear witness to, to Jesus, uh, to the world around us, to our friends, our colleagues, our neighbours, our family members. Sixthly and finally, Perhaps the most mysterious and difficult one of them all is that we are a, co a community defined by unity. Jesus says in verse 22 to 23, he says, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as I, as you have loved me. I don't know about you, but I look around the church today, particularly in our English context, and you, know, you don't have to have a big knowledge about church history to see how scarred and broken and division uh, and divided our, our, the church is. And it's painful. But quite frankly, this is, this is really on my heart, is that I think we're in, we're in an era today where we, we can't afford to remain factionalized anymore. We can't afford to be divided and, and, and broken up as the bride of Christ, as the church of God. Because as, as what Jesus is, is referring to here, the church and the efficacy of our mission depends on our unity. According to Jesus, the church is destined to be one. You know, when we come to that final vision, we, we will be one, just as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one. And so we end up where we started, with the sufficiency and the wholeness of, of the Trinitarian God. And our destiny is complete unity with God and with one another. Look around the room, do you feel united with one another? But I think what really grabbed me was the fact that Jesus goes so far as saying that the world's receptivity and the world's belief, the potential for belief in the world, rests upon the way that we as the church model unity and love. And so we have this huge responsibility to love one another authentically and to stand united in our belief, in our obedience to Christ and in our mission to the world. So we need to be intentional as a community about reconciliation. We need to be intentional about collaboration and forgiveness and partnership as far as is possible. 
We need to be beacons of love. We need to be pursuers of unity. We need to be voices of encouragement and positivity, as hard as that can be sometimes. We need to honour our brothers and sisters of other denominations and other traditions. We need to look beyond the labels of our, um, of our denominations and, and to other superficial barriers that, that keep us apart. And it's only, when, it's only when we actively lean in to unity that I think with any integrity we can begin to portray the life and the mission of God in Jesus Christ, who is completely one with the Father and the Spirit. You got all that? It seems, it seems to me that the, the church is quite different from the gym. Although um, every now and again, somebody does turn up with spandex and sweatbands. But I think generally on the whole, we are a different beast. There's something very unique about who we are. And I love that Jesus' final words to his disciples in John 17 here, that we catch this vision, this wonderful, beautiful, rich vision of what it means to be the church, an intentional community that's rooted in the very life of God. We're a people to whom God has revealed himself, a people with whom God has made this unique covenant of hope through Christ. We're a people called to be faithful and obedient. We're a people called outward on mission. We're a people created to be united in love. And all of this is made possible through the guidance, the peace, the power of the Holy Spirit in us and amongst us. Should we stand together if you're able? And I just want us to 